It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thank you for joining us for a Tuesday edition of our podcast. Uh, here we are. The week Congress is back in session. There's talk of impeachment and talk of government shutdowns and talk of motions to vacate the chair, which means to replace the Speaker of the House. So who better to visit with this week than someone who spends almost every waking hour she has on Capitol Hill with her ear to the ground? You know, she actually knew more about what was going on in Congress than I did when I was in Congress. I think her sources were better. Olivia Beavers, who covers Congress for Politico. Welcome, Olivia. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Trey. Good to be with you again. And uh, thanks for for making it seem like I have such a great social life outside of work. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) I sat there. I don't remember which impeachment it was because we've had so many since I left. But (laughs) I mean, there were there was testimony into the wee hours of the morning. And there you were. It looked like you had every single major respiratory disease that one could possibly have all at the same time. So I'm sure you have a great social life. Typhoid Mary, that would not fly today, let me tell you. (laughs) Well, you seem to have bounced back remarkably well. So. Here's what I got to start with, because, I mean, I invited you to come on a long time ago because I knew that September was coming. It was Mm -hmm. hard for me to figure it out, but but the calendar is fairly predictable. So I knew that September was coming. And then lo and behold, Politico is out with a huge story today. You are one of the I guess it's a it's a three headed monster, but you are one of three people who contributed (laughs) To that story, and it posts at 5 a.m. And I'm first of all, I'm not sure who's up at 5 a.m. to post the story, but here we are. I got to ask you a couple of questions about it before we get into the details, okay? Perfect. All right. So, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, go to Politico, pull up this story. Olivia is one of the three contributors, authors. I'm not sure what the right word is. You can't miss it. Because it's a big, huge picture of Kevin McCarthy. He's in a body of water in a suit trying to keep the speaker's gavel in his grasp. It's an artist <laughs> rendering. It's not, a, it's not a photograph. So don't think that Kevin wears a suit into a reflection pond. That, that's not what it is. It's an artist rendering. But I got to ask you a couple of questions about that picture. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. All right. This is yeah, what I'm upset- good with that. All right, this is what upset me about that picture. There there are three things that just immediately I took exception to. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Number one, he looks 20 years younger in that picture than he really is. (laughs) So I I understand the need to balance out writing a a story about someone's political death by by also (laughs) making them look like they're still in high school I mean, that picture literally makes him look 20. Do you not think? 
I think uh, our next story is going to be how Speaker McCarthy is Benjamin Buttoning, and he's getting younger <laughs> as he survives each political battle as Speaker. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say his hair looks better manicured than it normally does, but no, uh, you had some. You had some, fly, you had some flyaways in that in that artist rendering, but but that's not what made me mad. We all have flyaways. He looked really really young. He his suit was also completely pressed. There were no wrinkles, which you know is completely unrealistic because I've never seen Kevin in anything that did not look like he slept in it the night before. Here's what really really upset me about it though. Okay, y'all had him in a button down shirt with a tie. Who wears a tie with a, you have to wear a spread collar with a tie, not a button down with a tie. So, let's get to the merits of it. Trey, have you have you thought about a side show where you give fashion advice because I do remember a time when your fashion picks would go pretty viral online. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of jealousy out there, Olivia. You're right about that. There's a lot of jealousy. All right, I'm going to get to the substance because you had nothing to do with the artist rendering, although I did. I, I thought it was actually really well done. Um, set the stage for our listeners. Why is September important? What's getting ready to happen? You're basically having a showdown on multiple different fronts, and they're all sort of colliding at the same time. So you have 11 appropriation bills, basically how Congress funds the government, uh, whether it's the Pentagon, whether it's Department of Homeland Security, um, all these big agencies. It's it's, um, the Senate and the House trying to figure out how much money goes where and how they're going to do it. And in the past, you've sort of been able to do these short-term government funding bills to to give them more time because we know Congress, uh, they don't like deadlines. So they reach a deadline and then they punch it and uh, so on and so forth. But in this case, we're dealing with a House majority that is so different in the past, which is it's so slim. You have people like Chip Roy and the sort of the right corner of the party saying, absolutely no to CR. And if you use Democrats to try to buy more time, we're going to motion to vacate. So you're having these talks about kind of, um, in a way, uh, handcuffing how Kevin McCarthy can move forward. Um, if you do this, then we'll, we'll threaten your job. And even if they just threaten their job, do they, do they undermine and make them weaker? And they're starting to say that loudly. And, um, it's two people I actually know you used to serve with, and you might have seen the tweets, and I thought you would find it very interesting. But Matt Gates talking about teaming up with Eric Swalwell to deliver votes of a motion to vacate against um, Kevin McCarthy. So now you have people like Gates saying, if you don't give us a vote on an impeachment inquiry, then we're going to do a motion to vacate. And if you might remember during when Democrats were leading impeachment against Trump, there was all of this discussion about wording. Oh, we, you know, you need to have a vote just to have an inquiry. It's not actually an impeachment inquiry. It's just, you know, to give us more investigative powers to investigate. Well, now Republicans are having that same debate where they're trying to come up with wording and decide um, how to sort of finagle a way that two, two different sides could have a win because there's also a huge group of Republicans who feel like they're not ready to start the Biden impeachment. So that's also sitting on Kevin McCarthy. In addition to um, disaster funding, Ukraine funding, and uh, a very short amount of time left in the legislative year. So 
Um, people are trying to avoid having a shutdown over Christmas, which, um, you know, no one really enjoys if you work covering the Capitol or you work in the Capitol, that kind of kills your holiday. But uh, you sort of get used to that sort of reality here. So those are some of the things that we're watching coming up. And uh, it's, I feel like it's so much that I might have missed something. Did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but but I, I here's where I'm going to embarrass myself because because I, I was only there eight years. You can't possibly expect me to to know some of this really complicated stuff that you probably know. Are there twelve appropriations bills? Is that how many there were? There are twelve, and they got through one. All right. Now we're going to get maybe a little bit wonky, but essentially, you know, this week they're going to be voting on the defense appropriations bill and next week is the homeland security bill but the freedom caucus and some of their you know conservative allies are thinking about a plan where they basically say we'll vote down the rule that bill might have enough support to pass because they it's filled with conservative goodies um, about the border but they want to control the process for the other appropriations bills so they might not let those other ones even reach you know, essentially a, a house floor vote. Um, and that might create a whole other issue with these club appropriation bills as people go back and forth. All right. Just so our, so our listeners who are not as well versed in what's happening mercifully uh, in DC as perhaps you <laughs> and I would be, your options are threefold. You can pass all of the appropriations bills that fund government. You can pass one, as Kevin uh, in the House have, and then therefore you have a vehicle for a CR or a continuing resolution, which kind of funds government, but not through the different appropriations packages. Or the third option is you have a government shutdown because the government has um, does not have money. There's no money appropriated. There is a greater chance of me going to the high school prom with Halle Berry than all 12 of these appropriations bills passing, right? Yeah, I, I think if I had to put money on it, and I will preface with when I've done Candid Casino on Brett Bear's show, I've done quite terribly. Uh, it turns out you don't put 50-50 on different bets um, <laughs> and, and lead Brett to ask, have you ever been to casino, which you know, warranted the answer, no. <laughs> But um, if I had to bet, I would say we're heading towards a shutdown. And I also think that there are some dynamics here that are different than in the past. And, um, you know, you watched it and lived it as Ryan and Boehner had to push through this kind of period. There is a thinking that we've found where there's, there's certainly some Republicans and McCarthy is saying it publicly. They don't want a government shutdown. But there are some Republicans who are allies of McCarthy who think a shutdown actually might help them beneficially with the right. There's a desire to go back to their districts and say, we're fighting for you, even if it's in the form of a government shutdown, even if it doesn't mean that they get the funding levels that they want. It shows that they were in fight. And so if the government shutdown happens, that might help politically Kevin McCarthy, at least among the quieting the critics that he needs to kind of keep in line within his own party. Now, does that hurt him more broadly? Does that hurt um, heading into an election? That's that's a different question. Um, you know, people tend to remember the shutdowns differently, and so much happens in the air that, you know, the presidential might completely just 
erase that by the time people go to the ballot boxes. But they're they're sort of he's sort of in a different position than his predecessors, where this might actually help him politically internally if there is a shutdown. The bigger question is, how do you get out of the shutdown with some of these Freedom Caucus members? Like, when do they let it go? When do people like Matt Gates say, okay, enough is enough? When do people like Matt Rosendale, who's running for Senate, say enough is enough? Or Bob Good? And the other thing that might surprise you is, you know, you have to also call into account the motivations. Some people don't want to see Kevin McCarthy succeed in this space, but Hold that thought real quick for a second. Um, I don't know all of the names that you just called. Um, I think you called Gates, Rosendale, and Good. Are those the three names? Bob Good, yes. Of yes. those three, how many eventually relented and voted for Kevin for speaker? I believe all three of them voted present. So they never voted for so the, the in the end. The three that possibly... So, sorry, more than three... Um, I believe Lauren Boebert was part of that. Andy Biggs was part of that. I think 14 of the 20, and I might be wrong on this, um, misremembering, but I think like about 14 of them ended up voting present, and there were about, you know, six or so who, who voted present. Right. Even to the very end, even after everything was seemingly resolved, they never voted for Kevin for speaker. If, yes. if, if my memory serves me correctly. I lived through a couple of shutdowns, and my take on them is it depends on who wins the messaging war. There was a shutdown when President Trump was president that I really think the Democrats were blamed publicly for that shutdown. There was a shutdown when I was in the House where Republicans were blamed for it. I believe that was the one where we were going to get President Obama to sign the repeal of his signature piece of legislation. And shockingly, that never happened. So we bore the brunt. Yep. I think you're right that a year from now, people will have recovered from the shutdown. People get paid back their back salaries and um. But the other issue is, how does it end? How do you get out of a government shutdown? Someone has to relent. What's the longest one? Was it 16 days? Was there one longer than that? Yeah. I, what, 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 what number did you say? Shutdown. I remember one like in the 16-day range. I feel like it, uh, I think it's even longer than that. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was some years back. I, I shouldn't know that off the top of my head, but I'm blanking on that a little bit. No, I should <laughs> remember it because I was there for it. I mean, I, I, sh I should remember it, but but I had to block all of that out. So the government's going to run out of money at a certain point. 35-day 30, shutdown. 35-day shutdown. Okay. Is the longest shutdown, surpassing the 21-day shutdown in 1995 and 1996. Okay. Um, so we head to a shutdown. There has to be an off-ramp. The off-ramp may require – I mean, if you are negotiating with people who never even relented and voted for you for speaker – <laughs> they never came around to voting for you for speaker. The chances of them voting for an appropriations package that gets you out of a shutdown, I think, are zero. So we're still headed towards a motion to vacate the chair, I think, don't you? That's, that's the really tricky part that McCarthy is in. And, you know, um, I, I'm not the only one in saying it. He has proven extremely clever and, and 
politically savvy and maneuvering positions that we all sort of looked at in a black and white either or and thinking, how does he get out of this? And he sort of found a way, um, even if the crescendo sort of from a debt ceiling has been building against him. I think one other thing to sort of keep in mind, when we left for the August recess, we had basically five weeks where lawmakers were either vacationing or back home with their district, meeting with their base. There seems to be a stronger appetite coming back from motion to vacate. You had some of the, you know, the Hardy McCarthy critics who went back home. They talked to their people and they're, they're there now floating it way more easily and comfortably than I noticed they were doing before. Um, so keep, as to answer your question, keep that mindset when, when you're looking about how you get out of it. Yeah, the big question is, they're already saying if you rely on Democrats, yeah, we talked to Bob Good, we talked to Chick Roy, we talked to um, Tim Buck, we talked to all these Republicans who are saying if you rely on Democrats, Scott Perry, you're in trouble. So that, that basically means how does McCarthy get out, out of it? And I don't have an answer for it. Um, I, I don't have that kind of crystal ball. Let me stop you right there, just because I, I didn't do as well in civics as a lot of the people that you probably interact with on a daily basis. But when when someone says you better not do it with Democrats, these bills have to pass the Senate and be signed by the White House, right? Yep. And I don't know what happened this morning. I, the last time I checked, the Senate was controlled by the Democrats, as was the White House. So it is going to have to, in fact, be done with the Democrats, right? Yes, that is correct. I think what they're saying is is McCarthy relying on House Democrats to vote, or um, you know Ralph Norman saying he doesn't want them to capitulate to the Senate. And he gave a very interesting quote. He goes, um, you know, I, I asked him, I was like, how do you think? Isn't McCarthy sort of in this impossible position with your with your spending demands and having to deal with the Senate, and um, you know, in addition to every other demand? And he said, if McCarthy worked as hard as he did during the speakership vote um, to, get, to get the gavel, then he would be able to get the spending levels that they want, which is a pre-COVID $1.47 trillion spending bill. I actually saw that quote. And, you know, my reaction was um, was actually one of laughter because that was actually said by someone who never voted for him. So I'm not sure. I mean, the way I read that, is it doesn't matter how hard Kevin worked to become the speaker. I never voted for him. And it really doesn't matter how hard he tries to navigate this labyrinth. I'm still not voting for whatever he puts forward because I don't want him to be the speaker anymore. So Mm -hmm. to me, if you placate some on the writer edges of the conference, are you not going to lose moderates or do you not lose the do you not run the risk of losing Republicans from California, New York, and other places? You do, and that's that's the very difficult balancing act that he has. So you have, um, it's not even just sort of centrist, it's rank-and-file Republicans saying, like, we don't, shutdown's not good, let's not do a shutdown. We don't have the evidence to start, you know, marching towards impeachment of Joe Biden, let's not do that. That makes it really complicated for our majority makers. And that's usually the word to describe the vulnerable Republicans in places like New York and California um, who are in Biden one districts. They are not interested in, in doing that, but that's the position that McCarthy is being put in is do you press forward with something that might ultimately 
help him survive the day, but it could end up coming back and, you know, leaning towards him losing the house. And that's another broader question. Um, the difference is, and you'll see it every now and then, some jailbreaks with moderates, but there's sort of a, a belief about sort of the centrist moderates in the house, which is they're loyal to McCarthy. They want to see McCarthy succeed. They hate the idea that he's being constantly, in their mind, held hostage by the demands of the right, even if it's at the cost of what they want. And, you know, some have joked about being screwed in the minority and the majority, um, which they didn't expect. But there's a perception about the moderates, too, which is they're not willing to shoot the hostages. The House Freedom Caucus, they're willing to shoot them. The moderates will not, you know, go nuclear to enact what, what they're pushing. They'll, at the end of the day, become try to become the good team players. And that's sort of the difference that you see between the two sides. We're going to take a quick break. More of my conversation with Olivia Beavers is coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right. Um, I'm not telling you anything that I haven't already said to Speaker McCarthy himself. Um, He's already been the speaker longer than anyone, including every high school teacher he ever had, thought he would be. I mean, there were times during that week um, where the prognostications were not good for him to become the speaker. And then it was, well, he may not last a week. And here we here he is. He he survived one gauntlet. Um, is there a sense? Um, do they have a another name in mind? I'm I'm going back to January, Olivia, and I know one of Kevin's uh, most irrational critics nominated Jim Jordan, who had no interest in being the speaker. I assume he still doesn't. Are they going to try that again? Um, he also nominated Donald Trump. Who? Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's in the throes of a presidential primary so if your two ideas are jim jordan who doesn't want it and won't take it and donald trump who's running for president do they have like a real suggestion for a replacement for kevin the the short answer is um not really i think you get into if not Carthy, then who um steve scalise is the number two and his name is often floated as the alternative but i think there's enough sort of tribal suspicion between the two camps and the two allies, even if they won't say it sometimes, where you will have McCarthy allies who will, you know, be unwilling to support him if he was then given the opportunity. Um, And so then sometimes you start looking at the next question, too, and and, um, there's not a clear person. And and so basically it's kind of seen as what's going to be a bloodbath. But there is one general consensus, which is, a lot of the Republicans think that if the Freedom Caucus wants to go into a motion of vacate and get rid of Kevin McCarthy, speaker, they're probably not going to end up with someone who is more willing to engage, more willing to be sympathetic than what they have. They might end up with someone who is more centrist or moderate and doesn't align with them, you know, even further than what they're, they're arguing. Uh, so that would be something that they kind of privately admit, but they don't, you know, I don't think we're, we're talking about that far in the hypotheticals. They're, they're using the motion to vacate as a, as a threat right now, saying, well, if you want to go down that road, we're not afraid to. But I don't think they, you know, they need to know how it ends up. Um, 
because that's where a lot of their power lies right now. So there are the the House majority right now is what five six. Mm-hmm. Yep. So with no Democrat help, Kevin would essentially need six friends to say, I'm never going to vote for fill in the blank. And then that fill in the blank candidate also will never be the speaker. Right. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it just takes six to say, I don't care who it is. We're not voting for. It. Yep. So you're going to get. Uh, into a very kind of interesting dynamic where I think, you know, you, you might see like a top slate of, of names and people who people think it could be, but it, it might even end up being someone completely not even in, in that named arena. You know, people like joke about like the Tom Cole, people who are not seeking it being like, well, you know, if we can't get the person we want, we'll just name Tom Cole as the House Rules Committee chair who does not want it to, just to preface, but um, people love him, so they put his name forward anyway. Right. Yes, I loved him too. He is he is a he is a very very likable person. He's a congressman from Oklahoma. For those who are not familiar with him, I know he is on the rules committee. He probably is on approps too. Is that correct? Um, I believe that's correct. Yeah, I think he's on approps, and I, I know for sure he's on rules, or he certainly was when I was there. All right, this is the question I would have for Representative Tom Cole or anyone else, fill in the blank, whether it's Elise Stefanik, whether it's Stevie Scalise, whether it's Kenny Buck. The question I would have is, how are they going to be able to get a Democrat Senate and a Democrat White House to agree to things that McCarthy is not? That's the part I guess I don't get is how does changing the speaker get you closer to what you want? I think it's more of a one day at a time sort of thing. And uh, <laughs> well. one, one day at a time also, like, keep in mind, we're in a world where um, cutting against the grain and going against the speaker is very popular with a certain part of the base. So that helps with the fundraising, that helps with the television hits, that helps with you know, sort of, there's sort of this entire kind of apparatus that goes around going against whoever is going to be speaker. Um, there will always be a group that benefits from challenging whoever is the leader. Uh, and, you know. you know, I never thought about that until you suggested it. It never dawned on me that some of the names that came up today with you, their names haven't crossed anyone's lips since January. The last time they were really in the in the public eye was when they tried to keep Kevin from becoming the speaker. And I guess nine months later, there's this insatiable desire to be back in the public eye again. I just well, and also we're, 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 you know, quarterly fundraising does tend to lead to certain uh, political gimmicks to get attention and get money in. Um, but I will say they, their, their names have been in my mouth since then, since <laughs> I right, live and breathe it, but before I let you go, I got to ask you this. All right, there was one um, fairly public, um, I guess, disagreement um, between two members of the Freedom Caucus that resulted in one member of the Freedom Caucus no longer being a member of the Freedom Caucus. More recently, um, there were two Republicans from Colorado. Uh, well, one Republican from Colorado and one Republican from Georgia who kind of got sideways on January 6th um, defendants awaiting trial. 
And there's also Republican divisions on impeachment and against whom to move and when. Um, are these divisions real? Um, are those the kind of fake fights that we used to see where everybody went to dinner afterwards? They just, you know, enjoyed the, the attention or are these real divisions within the Republican conference? Well, first of all, um, the, the fights that you uh, you named make me sometimes have to ask myself, am I covering Congress or am I covering uh, <laughs> or am I covering what feels like a reality TV show sometimes? But um, I, I think you were referencing Ken Buck of Colorado, and basically he was reinstating his position on January 6th in a letter. Um, he was trying to pushed back on what he thought were some conspiracy theories about January 6th prisoners being detained improperly or illegally and unfairly, um, and going through his positions about certifying the election. And Marjorie Taylor Greene got a hold of the letter and was attacking her former Freedom Caucus colleague um, and, you know, basically calling him a rhino. And uh, the irony or sort of the, the fun timing of that was I had been with Ken Buck on the trail, and I have a story coming out this week about sort of, uh, you know, doing a profile on him. But I was asking him about Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he would say, he said, I wouldn't have voted to kick her out. I wasn't part of the vote, but I wouldn't have voted to kick her out. Um, and then there, you know, there she is uh, going after him and uh, having a very loud difference of opinion. Um, he felt very strongly about January 6th, voting to certify and defending Liz Cheney. And he still would not ever have any remorse over how he voted on that. And um, Marjorie Taylor Greene has a very different position. That's how she built a lot of her name and power with the Republican base was being very pro-Trump, very, you know, pushing, peddling the, the conspiracies about the election being stolen. And... So you're basically seeing a huge clash right there of the minds. And that's more a broader telling of, I think, a schism of the Republican Party still because of Donald Trump. And I don't think that's going to go away, especially with the presidential election as it is right now. Well, gosh, I've been gone forever. But I can tell you when I was there, there is kind of a a one-horned animal that I would compare uh, Kenny Buck, too. It would not be a rhinoceros. It would not be a rhino. It would be a unicorn. Um, he is a very unusual <laughs> Republican in that he may be the most conservative, according to some of the ratings agencies like Heritage and Club for Growth. When I was there, he and John Ratcliffe had the two highest scores for conservatism, for fiscal conservatism. Did they get John Ratcliffe confused with someone else? No, no. I mean, Radcliffe, Radcliffe, I think, had 100. It's the only 100 he ever got in his life, but he got 100 on that. And Kenny Buck. So so Kenny has a different view of the Constitution and what is allowed and what is not allowed. I mean, you're welcome to say he's wrong. You're welcome to say he's got the wrong view of the Constitution. It's just of all the words to use to call Kenny Buck, a rhino would not be one of them. However, I digress. Um, so January, the chances of passing all of those approach packages are zero. And by the way, not to take you away from your work any longer than I have, but just so our listeners know, 
Um, many mm-hmm. Republicans wanted an open process, right, where you can file whatever amendments you want to file and you have to vote yeah. on all these amendments, right, which the Democrats are smart enough to put very uncomfortable amendments on the floor, which make Republicans in swing districts have to take a litany of hard votes. Mm-hmm. So is there any way in the world that all 12 of those appropriations packages would have passed, do you think? I think it still would have been such a, a difficult uphill hike. Um, but, you know, I also have learned covering Congress when we try to talk about hypotheticals that, you know, it's if I try to claim I know where the dart's going to fall, I've been proven wrong and humbled enough times in this career where <laughs> when I sort of say, you know, there's always a chance that it could have happened, but um, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to be putting real money on it. All right. Well, I will. And not all 12 of those would not have passed. All 12 of those didn't pass many times, even when we had far more than a five person majority. So you're definitely in CR land. The question is, how long is the continuing resolution for? Does it get you Mm -hmm. three months? Does it buy you 12 months? Where do you go for the votes? How do you negotiate with the Democrat controlled Senate, the Democrat White House? And then the backdrop of all of this is that many people did not, not many, but a handful of people didn't want Kevin to become speaker in the first place. They don't want him to stay the speaker. You and I have a hard time finding out. I can't tell you who they think would get 218 votes and do a better negotiating job. But there is no name out there, at least that you're hearing some consensus replacement for him. Is that right? That's right. And I think some people wonder if, you know, like if McCarthy would try to bless someone else instead and sort of say like, you know, I, I picked this person as, you know, you know, someone who, who might be able to lead you, but um, no one is, is, if there's any kind of conversations happening like that, I have not heard a whip of it yet. But if he did bless someone that wouldn't help with his detractors, would it? They would be even more suspicious of that person. If he were to bless them, I would imagine. Definitely would be some suspicion, but it also might help them more broadly um, because you might be seeing, uh, you know, when there's an open seat for, for leadership, you're going to have, um, you know, like if you like imagine like a horse race, you're going to have a few false starts, but, the, you know, the rest of them are going to take off and it's going to be a very uh, aggressive pursuit of a position that high. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. All right, before I let you go, I got to ask you about one other thing. That I, I, I found stunning. I found uh, literally it takes a lot to stun me, but this stunned me uh, while I was there, even though we did not agree on everything. I, I would have a hard time listing a more conservative member when I was there than Jim Jordan. I, I would mm-hmm. just I would have a hard time. I mean, there are other people in the conversation, but Jordan um fiscally conservative not afraid to fight did all of his preparation for committees i mean he he was the darling and justifiably so the darling of many on the right surely i am not really hearing people frustrated with jim jordan i mean surely that's just a bad dream i had right um well you know jordan People argue that Jordan stayed true himself, but I think that there's um, there's a belief on some of the Freedom Caucus world that he's he's now too close with Kevin McCarthy, that he's he's picking more 
the teamwork rather than the attempts to challenge leadership and push leadership in a way that they saw um, what Freedom Freedom Caucus standing for and being part of that mission. So I think that there is some natural tension where you have Jordan working very well with leadership and, you know, he's grown tremendously in popularity in the broader conference too. He was a darling with the grassroots and the Freedom Caucus on the right and now he's he's definitely more popular in terms of mentoring freshmen and everything like that. But there are still some who uh, have, you know, the, the desire to to not be under the the working engagement of leadership, they would claim it's the thumb of leadership. And anyone who is will probably have a different mission than theirs. Well, we're gonna we're gonna end by me quoting an old Sunday school teacher I had who said, Don't ever assume everyone wants to see you do well. That is uh, oftentimes true of your opponents. Unfortunately it is also true of people who claim to wear the same jersey that you wear. Um, everyone does not want to see you do well. It's going to be a fascinating September um, to see whether or not uh, there is a shutdown. What It's going to be fascinating to me, Olivia, to see what the request is. What What is Kevin supposed to go extract as a concession from the Senate and the White House in order to gather the votes, and then you have the reality that it doesn't matter what he does. He could cure baldness, and it would not get him the votes of a handful of his Republican colleagues. It, it really honestly does not matter what he does. So we may be headed back towards, you know, another January with another protracted series of floor votes. Hmm. Wow. And then I bet there's some people out there wondering, hey, can we go back and become part of Great Britain? Can we just have a king again? This whole democracy thing is awfully, awfully messy. But here we are. Well, Trey, Trey I got to I gotta tell you really quickly, just since you mentioned that, I had a friend visiting D.C., and as a joke, I gave him a, a hat that, that's red and it says, Make America Great Britain Again. And <laughs> they, they turned to me and they said, the one thing you don't joke about is freedom. And so they refused to wear the hat, but... I thought I thought it was funny. Uh, it, it it is funny because of the way we intend it. I mean, democracy is supposed to be messy. It is supposed to be difficult. I don't know that it is supposed to be dysfunctional. <laughs> our for our forefathers foresaw the role that ambition would play in politics, and they they uh-huh. warned against it. But we shall see. We're a resilient people, and. The story is out. It's in Politico. I was going to ask you about this even before your story came out, but the timing is perfect. If you want to know what's happening in D.C., follow Olivia Beaver. She writes for Politico. She's also frequently, well, she's on my show some, but she's also on with Brett Baer on the panel. I'll give you the last word, Olivia Beavers. Wish me luck, because uh, I think September might be a little bit uh, of a killer for my social life, as you had joked earlier in the show. So you were you were correct. <laughs> I wish you luck, and I wish your uh, I hope that September is so bad you decide to go take the LSAT and go to law school <laughs> like I told you to. <laughs> 
That sounds good. I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know by the end of it. All right. You take care of yourself and thank all of you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.